Hi, I'm Floyd Norman, and I'm a guest on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Listen in. about it in the context of the movie the Ewoks you know they were out hunting and they caught Han and Luke and everybody but they didn't get to eat them yeah and then the next day they spend the entire day fighting and then they have a feast where did the where did the meat come from you know they had those awesome drums too the helmet drums yeah yeah <laughs> I mean it's it's pretty clear that they're gonna eat the stormtrooper here are your hosts Jamie Green and Justin Connors Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Another week, another great episode. I say that every week because it's always a great episode. Right. You're <laughs> such a fanboy of the show. I'm so. I, you know what? I it's one of the only podcasts I listen to. In my car. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you that. My wife, my wife is always like, "Hey, why you listen to your own podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, you need to listen to make sure it's good, right? You oh, need sure, to catch you gotta, catch your you gotta, mistakes and you gotta make sure you sound good. Yeah, I just like listening to you know how great our interviews are. Speaking of interviews, we have another great one this week, and I'm really happy because I'm starting to get feedback from some people about our Star Wars episodes. Just today, I was shared by a listener. He's been listening since the first episode. And I'm going to wow. shout him out. His name's Rob Greenwood. Yeah, Rob Greenwood. We love you. And he's rated our podcast on iTunes. And he always likes it and shares it. And Rob, you're awesome, buddy. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And But he mentioned specifically that he really enjoyed our Rebels interviews. So you know, we're happy to bring them. We really enjoyed those interviews, too. <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, we have yet another Star Wars interview. And it's fitting because... Of the trailer that is yeah. out, that came out this week, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is actually really exciting. Um, this is the first that you, the Rebels uh, show that we had had three separate interviews, but they were separate. We did each of them individually. Um, this interview is something a little bit different. We hadn't tried before. It's more like a roundtable interview. Um, we had three separate authors on at the same time. Um, so it was really cool. They got to play off each other and have a conversation. And it was almost like Justin and I didn't need to be here. Uh, <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, they, uh, Delray Books recently put out um, young reader, young adult versions of like middle grade novels, novelizations of the original trilogy. And each of them is if you haven't seen them before, there are uh, new young adult uh, middle grade novelizations of the original trilogy, one for each movie. Um, and they're each told from basically a, a unique perspective that hasn't been told before. Um, and each is written by a different author. So they have um, those authors unique stamps on the, on the stories and the storytelling style. Um, and so today on the show, we have all three of them. Uh, we have Alexandra Bracken, who wrote um, the A New Hope novel called The Princess, the Scoundrel, and the Farm Boy. We have Adam Gidwitz, who wrote the Empire Strikes Back book uh, called So You Want to Be a Jedi. 
And we have Tom Engelberger, who wrote the Return of the Jedi novelization called Beware the Power of the Dark Side! Exclamation point. <laughs> um, and those of you who have listened to our show before will recognize Tom Engelberger because he has been on a previous episode and he's our first returning guest, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he has a record. He is, yeah. I don't know if it's a good record, but he's got a record. Perfect. Now, Jamie, can you confirm or deny if Tom Engelberger's book does have origami Yodas in it? It does not. <laughs> uh, origami Yoda is uh, a completely separate universe. I guess you can think about Star Wars like like it's, it's like a multiverse. It's like the Marvel universe, and Origami Yoda is its own thing unto itself. Um, but uh, yeah, each of the books are really unique. Um, Alex Bracken's book um, is split into three parts, uh, and each is told from the perspective of either the princess, the scoundrel, or the farm boy. Um, and she uh, takes in a lot of uh, a lot of dialogue from the films and sort of repurposes it and, and tells um, gives a lot more backstory, especially to Princess Leia, um, makes her a much stronger character. Now, this conversation was really fun and there's a lot of laughs. These guys are all fantastic uh, people yeah. and they're hilarious. So I hope you really hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, this is good. Enjoy. Let's just talk a little bit about how you each came on board to the project, because I'm sure that there were there are different stories. All right, well, I think I was first, so can I go first? <laughs> go for it. I mean, I do believe I was first because I actually um, I got the call from Lucasfilm. I was sitting out on my porch, and um, she said, you know, do you want to do one of the movies? And I said yes, and I knew right away I wanted to do Return of the Jedi. And... Um, and then I and she told me that Tony DiTerlizzi was making a picture book. And so I was thinking about who else would be really good. And I think both me and Tony suggested Adam. Which so was the nicest thing that's ever happened to me. And which is why I now send a thousand dollar check every week to Tom and Tony. <laughs> so I was in a hotel room on the road. Um, I was, you know, on a tour and um I got an email from Tony DiGerlisi, um saying, hey, man, you want to hop on the phone and chat sometime? And I was like, uh, why is the famous Tony DiGerlisi call you writing to me? Why does he want to chat with me? I'd met him once. He was a super nice guy, but we didn't really know each other to get on the phone. So I said, sure. We got on the phone. And we spoke for about an hour, just about stories, about The Wizard of Oz, a little bit about Star Wars. I kind of think he was feeling me out. Um, and after about an hour, I was like, Tony, what are we doing? Why are we talking like girlfriends on the phone? I'm enjoying it, but what's going on? Um, and he said, well, this is opportunity, and I just wanted to see if you are interested. And when he laid out the opportunity, I was, of course, very interested. It, it, it took you an hour to ask that question? It, it, yeah, to be like, what are we doing? Yeah, because I didn't want to be like, you know, hey, when the pretty girl calls you, you don't want to make a call. You don't question it right off the phone. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that we're all doing our where were you when we got when you got the call story. <laughs> um I was in my apartment. It was really I can't even remember what I was doing. I was like completely shocked just because my agent called me out of the blue and I thought she was calling me about something else and she said, Well, originally another author had been scheduled to write the book and then time constraints and all of that, she ended up having to back out at the last minute. So her loss was my gain, I guess. Um, and I, she, my agent knew I had this whole background with Star Wars, with my dad being a collector, and was like, 
do you want to do this? And I think unlike the guys, I had this moment of, oh my God, no, I can't possibly write Star Wars. I love it too much. I like could never fully do it justice. But then love went out in the end and I basically got selfish and didn't want anyone else to be able to do it. So. <laughs> and that other author was, the, her loss was all of our gain because having Alex on the project has been amazing. Not only Aww. because of her insane knowledge of the, of the project, but also because uh, it's really fun to watch her and Tom uh, go at each other trivia wise. It's it's like one of the <laughs> one of the most fun things about traveling together. I know, and the weird thing is, is like it's not like Tom and I are each like, oh, I know the most about Star Wars. It's like me telling Tom he knows more than me, and Tom telling me I know more than him. It's like a very strange <laughs> debate where maybe it turns in. out neither of us has any idea what we're talking. About. <laughs> maybe Adam secretly knows more. It would be a deep secret if that were true. Yeah, now, I, I got to tell you, Alex. Uh, Alex I just uh, when I was reading your book, I was like. How does she know all this stuff, or is she making it up? I couldn't tell which was which. <laughs> well, Alex, which is it? Um, I wish I could say I made it up, but it's sort of like it was. I grew up reading the expanded universe, but it's now called Star Wars Legends of all of the old books, basically. And so I just had this like weird, weirdly expansive, um, accumulated knowledge, basically, that I could finally use. It finally came in handy after. 15 years thank god hey alex were you able to slip in any eu stuff into the book because i tried and got uh rejected i got a couple things in i think yeah. the key was that like for instance i couldn't include anything on han solo's background and i'm i assumed at that point because i got sort of a, i got a note in the manuscript that was sort of like wink wink nudge nudge you can't include any of this information and so that's how i kind of got tipped off early in the game that they were going to do young Han Solo films because they were going to basically rewrite um, everything that had been established about him or they were going to present it, I guess, in any way. But I got to include some of the, um, I feel like, traditionally accepted background on Leia. Well, that actually jumps ahead to one of my questions I was going to ask because I know that you guys obviously had a lot of oversight from Disney and Lucasfilm about what you could and could not include, but you did slip a few of those things in. And one of the things that kind of pleased me, Alex, about your book was that you gave, um, you put Chewbacca's wife back in. I know. Um, <laughs> and which really surprised me that they let that happen since they've basically disowned the, the holiday special, um, which is where she first appears. And now your, she, your book is the first appearance of her in the new canon. So I'm wondering, did they, did they just not see it or do they not care? Or, or was it just, they just let it go? I have to say, I have been, like, pretty freaking delighted by how happy people are that she is in this book. Yeah. Like, that she gets a little <laughs> mention. I'm, like, it was one of the things that honestly surprised me that people picked up on and were, like, really excited about. Um, I mean, I definitely could not have slipped, none of us could have slipped anything by Lucasfilm that they were not on board with. Because all of the stories got vetted by the story group, who are kind of like the keepers of canon, basically. <laughs> so, I think the... The, how I well I keep asking like are our books technically canon and I know a lot of readers have asked that question and I think it's basically the story group has kind of said like yes but like they are taking artistic license so we like reserve the right to eventually be like mm, nope sorry that's not canon that I think is what they've been saying like on Twitter to people who've been asking about it so 
I don't know. Kind of like the Gnostic Gospels. One day they're going to find our books in a cave right on the (laughs) the Dead Sea. And they'll be like, really? Is this right? right?" (laughs) Yeah. So you can function under the belief that they are canon and self-proven otherwise. But I kind of, I really like the idea of, I love the idea that Chewie is actually this family man. And he kind of like (laughs) is Han's conscience, I guess. Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know because I, I wanted to just make sure that this was the first mention of Mala in the new um, the new canon. So I went where all good fans goes. I went to Wikipedia. And um, yeah, indeed, this is her first and only mention in the new canon. So according to Wikipedia, you guys are canon. Okay. <laughs> Wikipedia. All right. That is the arbiter of all things. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. yeah. Um, what were your... I mean, you you all kind of alluded to it, but what were your like your original thoughts when when it finally sunk in that like, hey, I'm retelling the original trilogy. Like, I'm get this is my shot to sort of make a little bit of a mark on the universe. Oh my god, who wants to start with that one? Tom, do you want to go? Well, I can start because I mean, to me, I was just immediately before I even got off the phone, I was thinking about Ewoks <laughs> and just thinking about how I wanted my Return of the Jedi to validate the Ewoks. And, um, and I think it did. I hope, I hope it did. And then as, as I thought about it more, I also thought, you know, I want to fix, fix is a strange word, um, expand on, uh, what the princess was doing. And, uh, those were my two big things. And I, I got away with them. I was able to get the book to pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> and, uh, that was hugely important to me. And I I feel like I got to do the things I really wanted to do. I think what I wanted to to do was less oriented towards what I wanted to do with the Star Wars universe and more what I wanted to do with my readers who are mostly, you know, 8 to 12 year olds, many of whom aren't in love with or don't even know very well these original Star Wars movies. That was one of the mandates that they gave us when they assigned us, when they asked us to do these books, was there's this whole generation of kids who are more into the, you know, the, the TV shows, more into the prequels, and not really um, in love with the originals, which is heartbreaking, I think, to all, all three of us. Um, yeah. And so I wasn't thinking, what can I do to the universe? I was thinking, what can I do to these kids that will make them identify with Luke in particular. So as you may know, in my book, uh, it's written in the second person. So you are Luke. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to get the kids to um, identify with Luke, particularly on Dagobah when he's learning to be a Jedi. Um, Because to me, that's sort of, for me anyway, the heart of that original trilogy um, is becoming a Jedi. So that was, I was thinking about affecting the kids less than affecting the, the universe. Oh my gosh. I, well, like I said before, I had like this crippling anxiety when I was working on this book initially because I was so nervous about getting it right and doing it justice because I had grown up reading Star Wars. So I ended up writing this book out completely by hand, which is crazy um, because for some reason it felt like less pressure. But I knew my favorite aspect of Star Wars isn't necessarily the space battles or the lightsaber battles. It's really the characters themselves. So I knew I wanted to expand on sort of the pretty somewhat like characterization we get on Han, Luke, and Leia in A New Hope and really delve deep into why they're making the decisions they do, why, you, why you're why you getting those reactions and kind of 
examine the labels that they place on themselves and how others dismiss them. I pitched this retelling to my editor as the Star Wars Breakfast Club, just to give you a sense of <laughs> delving deep into labels and whatnot. So yeah, it was so much fun. It was crazy though. I like, even now that the book is out, I still have moments where I was like, oh, oh yeah, I, I wrote a Star Wars book. Like this is a Star Wars book. I engaged in this universe. It's very <laughs> Jealous. I'm jealous <laughs> of all of you. <laughs> I think one thing that's really wild is uh, the amount of power that an author has. And um, I'm thinking particularly of a moment in Alex's book when she just drops in the line about the X-Wing pilots. And she says, if he or she, mm -hmm. and just by adding the or she, she just blows away <laughs> everybody's idea of a male, of an all-male X-Wing force. Yeah. I know. I'm assuming there were some ladies. I mean, the whole setup to the Yavin 4 battle was like really interesting to go back and look at. I was able to pull not only from the script, but from the radio drama script. And Brian Daly, who wrote, I think, all three of them, he had really kind of expanded on like... One of, okay, I should start by saying one of the things that always really bothered me was that they gave Luke, who was pretty much fresh off the moisture farm, an X-Wing and just sort of like sent him off into battle. And I was like, I want to feel like he was not just going to be TIE fighter fodder. So yeah. I kind of reworked a off-camera scene that Brian Daly had written and kind of brought into the canon to show that he had had some sort of um, flight test. And just like the Han interactions, that was like a really, I guess I never realized how little of that time and like that face that we actually get. But they're obviously trying to move things along since there's a Death Star coming. It's kind of like interesting to explore that. And yeah, it was, it was just like an easy fix that you add in the he or she. Yeah. And you really, I know, it, it's so sad that there are really only... I think, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, three named female characters in the film, in the original trilogy. It's Leia, Aunt Beru, and Mon Mothma. Was anyone else given a name, like, in the actual film? Oh, yeah, I guess they never say Ula, do they? No. No. So, oh. I mean, it was pretty easy to expand on, like, yes, there are <laughs> female X-Wing pilots. More than three in this galaxy. Yeah. Um, of course, we don't know about, you know, some of, uh, like, IG-88 might have been a, uh, a female. We don't know. Yeah, true. Did you cover that in yours, Adam? <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I wish I had, you know. I was actually rereading, um, I'm reading my book aloud to my wife right now. Um, and she's pregnant, and we're, like, you know, doing a read-aloud thing. And um, I'm thinking about the scenes that are not from Luke's perspective, and and I'm totally thinking after hearing you guys talk so much about it and hearing Alex talk on Friday at an event in L.A., I was like, you know what? What if I? What if it had been you? You had been Leia in the scenes that you weren't Luke, you know, as opposed to moving to third person then. Um, and it would have been appropriate because that um, this uh, Empire Strikes Back was written by uh, the first pass at it was written by Lee Brackett, who is, you know, a woman and um, an old Hollywood um Warhorse, old Hollywood writer. Uh, she worked with um, William Faulkner on adapting *The Big Sleep*, Raymond Chandler's *The Big Sleep* for the screen. So there actually is this, you know, deep history with Star Wars of like strong and important women doing important work with it. So um, I think it's great that all that's going on. 
what, I mean, we're jumping all around to my questions, but I want to go back to, um, no, that's fine. This is perfect. One, but one of the things that, because Alex, you mentioned that you use the uh, Brian Daly script from the um, the radio dramatization as a source. And I, I've said this, said this before, I think, on, on our show, but I am intimately aware of that version because my daughter, who is six now, um, listened to that on infinite loop every night. She, she falls asleep with stories. Um, and so... Um, she has she has to have her iPod playing stories for her every night. And so for about six months straight, all she would listen to was the Star Wars radio dramatization, all three of them. But she listened to the first one most. Um, but one of the things that always strikes me of that telling is how um, how graphic Leia's torture scene is when she's on the Death Star. Yeah. Um, something that clearly was not in the movie it was all off screen in the film. But in the in the radio show. I mean, you hear her screaming and it's very graphic. It's actually a little bit unsettling. Um, and so I was wondering how that was going to play off in your book, but you actually pulled back on that. Was that a conscious decision? I mean, it's it's so funny to me because there, I really reference the radio drama for a lot of the off-camera scenes because it was important to me having grown up with the radio drama to sort of bring some of those scenes when I could into the, are like, you know, in quotation marks, um, canon books but um I that was actually not one of the scenes I referenced and I thought it was interesting that we had sort of similar ideas about how um Vader was really manipulating her by using the force but I really I mean I felt like she couldn't be incapacitated and I also didn't want to scare the poo out of our readership (laughs) so Yeah, I I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that she is suffering in the scene, but she's not, you know, being like really outright tortured. They're really just trying to get answers out of her by using the truth serum and Vader using the force. Yeah. So, yeah. So when (laughs) I'll talk finally. No, (laughs) I'm just joking. Um, So when you guys were given given the stories to write, what type of directive were you giving? Was the master plan to always tell the stories from a different perspective, or was that something that kind of evolved? Tom, do you want to start on that one? Boy, I don't think we were ever even given direction like that. Um, What I remember was um, being really nervous about telling the story the way I wanted to. And um, and then we're there at Skywalker Ranch, and I'm just so nervous that I'm going to get shot down when I say <laughs> that I want to have sort of the dear reader style of writing, and I'm so nervous about it. And then Adam goes, I'm going to tell mine in the second person. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'm doing dear reader. <laughs> because once, once, once Adam broke the ice with that second person thing, it just – and they were so supportive of it. They were like, go for it. I was like, wow, they really do want us to go for it. Which was the most empowering and exciting thing. And I think that the three of us are all um, kind of different writers. And um, and it was exciting that they were excited to hear our voices and our different approaches. The one way they did shoot down that second person thing was one idea that I had had early on in the process was um, that it would be a Jedi teaching a young Padawan this story um, soon after episode six concluded. And they had said, because J.J. Abrams um, had been contractually given a perfectly clean slate for episode seven, um, that I c- could not even imply the existence of Jedi after episode six. That it <laughs> would be possible that, you know, 
you know, every Jedi in the universe would have been wiped out. There would be no Padawans, nothing. Um, so they said, you know, make it, you know, just sort of a, a floating voice who's teaching a, a young a young person to be a Jedi and don't locate it in that time or even in that galaxy to give J.J. free reign. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I came on to the project so much later than you guys, and I wasn't allowed to... I think at that point you guys were pretty much done with your books, um, but I wasn't allowed to read them because I think Mike, our editor, kind of wanted to preserve, preserve how different they were, and he didn't really want... Because I don't think you... Adam, you and Tom didn't really like swap and share your stories, right? No, not at all. Right. Yeah. I think he wanted them to kind of exist as very separate entities. And, um, but I knew sort of what you guys were doing and Adam, like, especially your second person idea. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going big enough. I gotta go bigger. Um, which is one of the reasons why I submitted two proposals to Mike initially. One was this breakfast club idea that we ended up going with and another one, was basically sort of like a found file, found document retelling of A New Hope from the perspective of the poor Imperial officer who had to give the report and piece together on what had happened with the Death Star's destruction, which I still think would be a fun book. But You should write that one, Alex. <laughs> we, we want them both. I think, <laughs> I think it ended up being good that I went this direction because I wanted to really be able to set up the character's um, for, as you were saying earlier, Adam, all of these newer fans who are kind of entering into the galaxy through these books have, I mean, like grown up with the Clone Wars and the prequels. I wanted them to have like a really good base understanding of who Han, Luke, and Leia were before they jumped yeah, to Adam. That would have been a harder way into it, that the document. But I think what a great book that would be. You know, you should definitely call Mike and be like, now let's do the found, you know, yeah. found files. Of, of- <laughs> so that's, that's interesting, though, Alex, because you said that they like they they wouldn't let you read the other manuscripts. But you knew that Adam was doing second person. So it was just like, well, we're not going to let this their manuscripts color your your ideas. But you should know what this other <laughs> idea is. Yeah, I think... But really, he wasn't, it was more in the sense that Mike was wanting to show me that I could really do whatever I wanted with it. Like, that was his way of being like, look, he's like writing part of the book in second person. Like, you can really, we want you to first and foremost, just have a ton of fun with writing the book. And initially, I was like, not having fun writing the book, because I was so stressed (laughs) out about it. And then I had a separate visit to Lucasfilm um, from the guys and just like talking to the story group and them being like, well, you can make like little changes and little alterations. We just don't want you to really contradict something that's like in the film itself, or we don't want you to contradict anything that's going to be upcoming in the force awakens. But like, you can like make little scene adjustments. You can change, alter the dialogue a little bit to better suit your needs. So, but I was being so precious about star Wars initially that I just didn't want to like change anything. And I got on Adam's case about, changing Princess Leia's hairstyle in one of his scenes, I was like, her hair is not like that on Hoth. Like, she had her that hair... That was completely like unintentional. I know. Well, I am such a Alex brat. I was, I was at Lucasfilm, like, so and they were looking... How you chose to... Oh, yeah. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I was such a brat. We were at Lucasfilm's office, and they had, like, a couple pages of both of your books printed out. It was the first time I had read any part of them. Because they were showing how they were going to include the illustrations and, like, how the pages were going to flow. And I was like, Mike, I found a mistake. And he was like, oh, my God, what? And I was like, Leia's hair is wrong in this scene. And he gives me this look like, 
you're allowed to change Princess Leia's hair. Why would I want to? (laughs) I was proud about it. And I just admit, being a 10-year-old boy, I write for 10-year-olds, and I really feel like I am a 10-year-old boy, and I just was not keeping very close track of which hairstyle she had in each scene, which I know is blasphemy, but (laughs) I just, I don't really see the hair all all that clearly. But I, I, I think I fixed it, right, Alex? Um, I think so. I think so. Uh, Adam, I'm just curious, where did the second person come from? Like, were were you just a huge fan of Choose Your Own Adventure books? Or like, (laughs) no, that's funny. I really wasn't. I mean, I liked them okay, but I wanted to make sure that it didn't really feel like a Choose Your Own Adventure um, when I was writing it. I wrote, I wrote um, most of it, the first half of it, in the first person. I was on a little writing retreat, um, just myself and my wife, and um, when I got to Dagobah. Um, I just felt like I and the reader wasn't close enough to Luke. I didn't want to watch Luke go through this training. We've kind of already done that. Um, and Dagobah is a special place. Um, a lot of my background, you know, my own writing, my other non-Star Wars writing is fairy tales. And so one of the my roots into Star Wars is through... Joseph Campbell um, and Levi Strauss and the writing that George Lucas was doing about Star Wars as a fairy tale, Star Wars as the hero's journey. And Dagobah, to me, is the place where, you know, he gets there and none of the mechanical things work anymore. The meters aren't reading. The the X-Wing just isn't working. And um, when he lands, um, he passes passes through all of this mist, and it's like dropping down into the subconscious. And I think that that's what's going on in that whole, you know, part of the film, um, is that we're dropping into Luke's subconscious where he can sort of reform his personality, you know, into being um, a Jedi, being trained sort of at the deepest level. And I didn't want a kid just to sort of watch that from afar. I wanted the kid to feel like they were going through it also. And so... Um, I was taking a long walk and I thought, well, what if I just made the kid do it? What if I actually said you were doing it? And I ran home and I started to write it. Um, and it just flowed. I mean, the book came out of my fingers much more naturally as soon as you were Luke. Um, you all mentioned, though, that, you know, like Lucasfilm was really supportive of the different takes that you wanted to do and the different approaches. But was there ever was there ever a concern that the three books were just going to be too different? like stylistically, that they wouldn't form this nice cohesive whole as a trilogy? I not that was ever expressed to me. I yeah. don't know. I don't think that was the goal. I mean, I, I do think that, I, I mean, I know that some readers wanted it to be a trilogy. I think in retrospect, some readers want that. But it wasn't really what the original idea of, of the project was. It was that we all have kind of different readerships to some degree um, and different um, ways of communicating with our readers. And I think... The hope was um, we would kind of do pieces of art or literature or just storytelling that were distinct. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I noticed that and it's not without exception, but you all chose more or less to adapt the not the original versions, the not the special editions. You know, I know that there are some scenes that come from the special editions that are in the books, but you know, Tom, you put Yubnub back in the end, and <laughs> Alex, you definitely gave Greedo a chance to not. You did not give Greedo a chance to shoot first. Um, and I'm wondering, was that ever a point of discussion? Like, did they say like, well, there's like you know that scene with Jabba in A New Hope has to be in? So, 
you know, or was was there anything any mention of that? I'm trying to, I, I think I actually, I can't remember if in my outline I left out the scene that we get with um, Han, and, Han and Java, and I think they encouraged me to add it back in, because I had cut it, I think, just to keep the story moving, because I was worried Han's section was going to be longer than Leia's and Luke's, because it had more plot ground to cover. Um, I don't know, I just think, conscious, subconsciously, I just went back to yeah. the original <laughs> Good for you. I mean, there weren't like a. T- I, God, I haven't seen like the original original cut of the film in so so long. Um, kind of think like I feel like a New Hope didn't have so so many changes to it. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it. There were the biggest ones, obviously, for a New Hope, where the uh, you know was the Jabba in the hangar and then the Greedo scene. Um, Which I think those. I mean, that had been filmed, and that, I think, had been part of the script, right? So, I mean, technically, and I referenced um, a lot of the stuff that we don't see with Luke and his friends on Tatooine before the action of the story really starts that they had written, and I think they had kind of, like, loosely shot and then ended up cutting to start the story with um, Leia on the ship. But, Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wanted to really include all of this like extra i wanted to include as much as i possibly could of the extra material that we don't get to see yeah um adam uh interspersed in the chat between the chapters are these you know i think you alluded to them before the the lessons on like how to be a jedi how to use the force um and they they have a very zen-like quality to them you know the messages there are very real they're very serious but they're also written with you know, a wink and a nod. Um, it, 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 as I was reading them, it was almost like as if Yoda had an attitude. And I kind of like, <laughs> I, I really liked it. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, like, what was your thinking behind making those, you know, very serious in, in tone and met, I mean, very serious in message, but having the tone just be a little bit irreverent? Um, I don't think I can help but write that way. Yeah. Uh, I was a teacher for seven years. Um, and it's how I teach also. Um, and I think kids particularly um, connect with that. They like uh, to be made to laugh. They like to be taken by surprise. They like you to, you know, nestle down into something that feels really serious and then bring it up and make them laugh at something that surprises them and then settle back into the seriousness again. Kids have this really, I think, wonderful capacity um, for lightness and darkness, for seriousness and levity, all in the same moment. And making somebody laugh... Um, is bringing down their uh, defenses, I think. And so often when a kid is laughing, you can throw the hardest um, truth at them and it really penetrates through all the defensive barriers. So um, both as a pedagogical technique as well as um, just my voice, uh, I could not do that. You mentioned um, the, um, you know, the Zen quality of the lessons. Um, they're inspired, uh, obviously, a great deal by uh, Yoda and the way he teaches. They're also inspired by, um, I practice karate, and so I have, a, I think, a very wise um, and skillful uh, sensei teacher. Mm-hmm. So he inspired those as well. Um, and also I'm uh, really into Taoism. Uh, and so, uh, in fact, some of them, one lesson in particular was taken um, directly sort of paraphrasing, inspired by a story from uh, Chuang Tzu, which is a, uh, right around the, you know, 
200 BC Taoist uh, text, which I think Yoda totally would have dug. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Tom, this question is for you. Your narrator has a bit of a running conversation with the reader. Was that fun to write? Oh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I um, Part of that came from all the Victorian novels I read. And then another part came from Russian fairy tales, uh, especially there at the end. We slip back into the the Russian fairy tale thing where the narrator always claims that he was present for the whole thing. Your your book is also the longest of the three, so I'm wondering how you managed to convince the editor that you needed footnotes on top of that. You know, <laughs> he was actually the one that suggested the footnotes. I was, I was sticking in all this stuff that was slowing down the story. But I do remember at one point they were like, well, your book is a lot longer than Alex and Adam's. I think we should go back through and start cutting. And I was like, no way. Absolutely not. If Alex and Adam need to sit down and write more, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm not about to cut, you know, anybody's favorite part of Star Wars just uh, uh, because Adam pulled it in uh, a little a little light. <laughs> Mike literally <laughs> called me after that conversation and was like, Adam, you need to add a little bit. Sorry, Tom's is really long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sort of makes sense, though, because you have Vader on the cover, and I feel like any book that has Vader should just be slightly bigger than everything else. Right. <laughs> but and really, I mean, Yoda on the cover should be way smaller. Right? Yeah, there you go. Oh. See? <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> um. I have to I have to ask Tom because it was a little disturbing in one of the footnotes. I think it was toward the end. Um, you alluded to the Ewoks eating the stormtroopers, which is it's it's not new. It's sort of been rumbling for a while, but but now it's canon, right? Now it's canon, and it was also just recently hinted at in one of the Marvel comics, right? And so I'm wondering, is this now just like an established thing? Like Lucasfilm has just accepted it? Like yeah, they they ate the stormtroopers. I guess it is, and I mean, really, I I wonder if. It was just like um, George Lucas at the last second decided to pull back from that yeah. when he made the original movie because it's all set up for that. And really, when you think about it in the context of the movie, the Ewoks, you know, they were out hunting and they caught Han and Luke and everybody, but they didn't get to eat them. Yeah. And then the next day, they spend the entire day fighting and then they have a feast. Where did the, where did the meat come from? You know, well, they had those awesome drums too, the helmet drums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that they're going to eat the stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> but this was 1983. I guess you had to cut George Lucas some slack. Like they they weren't going to really just do that, right? Yeah. Um, no one is ready to cut George Lucas slack on that. Everybody wishes that was still in the film. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I what I really wish was in the film was that the Ewoks had bangs. Because you really get some close-ups of them, and they have really blunt teeth. And in my mind, the Ewoks definitely have bangs. Yeah. I mean, how else are they going to, you know, as, I've, as Alex and Adam have heard me say many times, they're the top predators in a jungle. You know, they're going to have bangs and claws. But that, that would have affected the marketing and the merchandising. Kids wouldn't have wanted to buy little teddy bears with fangs, right? Well, that oh was one gosh. of the great things about the job we got. We didn't have to worry about marketing uh, <laughs> advertising. We didn't have to add, uh, add anything just to, you know, forlom. We didn't have to put forlom in there. <laughs> 
What, what's wrong with forlom? <laughs> you know what forlom means, right? I, I, I hesitate to ask. Nobody does? The theory I, is always, you know Alex, right? Yeah. No, what? but I, you, have to, you have to give the reveal. You've okay, up, well, you know? <laughs> the, the theory has always been that it stands for for love of money. Oh. And not bounty money, but Kenner money. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> um, okay, I know we've taken a lot of your time. We have um, a little bit at the end. We're just going to ask you guys all some really quick questions. But before we get to that, um, I'm not really exactly sure how to say this, so it doesn't come out awkward, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Alex, mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago, you wrote a piece for StarWars.com about your father and being the daughter of a collector and how that sort of shaped who you are. And I have to say, as I read that, it really, really touched me. And I found myself really connecting to it. I mentioned earlier that I have a daughter. Um, She's only six now. But beyond the parallels that I could see sort of in my own life with my own daughter as, you know, as as a father. And um, what really, I think, tugged on my emotions was the photo that you included of you in the Princess Leia gown, you know, (laughs) crouching over R2, Uh because I have an identical photo of my daughter doing that with the exact same R2-D2 thing, which I have in my office right now, looking right at it. It's that little cooler and his head comes off. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure I have a question here. There's really no question. I just wanted to thank you for sharing to like for for, just for writing that and sharing such a beautiful story. Um, And I really hope that someday, hopefully many, many, many years from now, that I, my daughter will also have such lovely memories of me and our time and going to conventions and things like that. So I just wanted to thank you for writing that. It was really, really beautiful. Well, thank you for taking the time to read it. Oh, absolutely. Really, I was like a mess when I was writing it because it was touching <laughs> on a lot of things that, I mean, the other reason why I had a hard time initially saying yes to the project was because it was coming a couple years after my dad had passed away and I was sort of, I hadn't really watched Star Wars or engaged with Star Wars since he had passed because I so strongly associated it with him. And then, but instead of feeling, you know, like really sad and kind of upset about dipping back into this world, it kind of made me feel closer to him. Yeah. Which was like a lovely feeling and when we went back to celebration, because I had gone to all of the celebrations with him except for the one that had happened a couple, I think maybe two months after he passed away. Um, I mean, it was like a wonderful thing to be reconnected with this community of fans and like step back into that world. But I did really miss him at celebration yeah. this past um, spring. But yeah, that that photo is from actually my homecoming. We didn't have formal homecoming dances. We had costumed and themed homecoming Mm. dances. So that year it was heroes and villains. And I had like spent the entire year before like growing out my hair so I could do the Princess Leia buns and everything. And then I don't actually have a photo of them because I had the hood up in it. Not picture. I was like, (laughs) no proof that my hair was perfect. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, actually, like one of the like really delightful things that has come about at all of these different conventions that we've gone to and all of the panels we've spoken at is that I have a lot of um, fathers in your same situation who come up and are like, I'm so happy that um, they have a, a woman writing one of these books because my daughter loves Star Wars, but there's still like a little bit of that. Not, I don't want to say stigma, that's not the right word. There's still a little sense that Star Wars is a boy's thing. And so to like see another girl, another woman kind mm-hmm. of like sharing a huge part of the fandom, I think they're yeah. excited about that. And I also had a guy after Comic-Con come up and ask me, um, 
very seriously, how did your dad get you into Star Wars? I have an eight-year-old daughter and she's like not interested in it. And I'm really worried she's not going to ever like it. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I liked it because, you know, my dad liked it so much. And it was yeah. just such a big part of our life. And he was like, no, like step by step. What did your dad do? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I've, I've been lucky because I've heard other, you know, friends of mine and other fathers I know, they've, you know, I think Justin, you're the same yeah, way. Your I'm your daughter way. does not like Star Wars at no. all. You you as hard as you tried, you just can't get her into I can't, it. I can't do it. <laughs> My daughter has been obsessed with it since day one, and I didn't really push it on her. I mean, I have a lot of Star Wars stuff in my office here and you know it's it's sort of around the house and it's part of our lives but it's i never really you know impressed on her like this is something you must mm -hmm. like and it's just she just took to it uh, yeah. I, I, I loved it <laughs> well don't lose hope because i feel like people will get interest i think like right. kids everywhere are going to be really interested in films again once the new film comes out and they're starting to get like a little bit more of the hype and advertising yeah I've made a little progress with uh, R2-D2 and BB-8. She likes the droids. So. Oh, yeah. That's a good entry. <laughs> Who doesn't like the droids? Yeah, they're, a good, they're a good entryway. <laughs> All right. So real quickly, we're going to go through. We just got a few questions. I'm going to do like a quick, you know, round the horn. You guys can, you know, answer however you'd like. Favorite thing about the prequel trilogy? The Grievous. <laughs> All right. We've got Grievous from Tom. I'm going to say the costumes and the design work. Uh, this, this is going to be totally heretical, but I, I actually really like young Anakin. He reminds me of a kid I taught. Wait, the little kid Anakin or like teenager Anakin? No, no. The little kid Anakin. I actually really like him. Huh? All right. All right. <laughs> Least. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Nope. Nope. I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she was going to say Jar Jar, I think. <laughs> Definitely the gun. <laughs> Least favorite thing about the original trilogy. <laughs> um, lack of really um complex, interesting female characters aside from Leia. And also the like somewhat occasionally slightly sexist undertones of certain things that I'm glad they ended up cutting most of them, but from Han especially. Anyway. I think my least favorite thing from the original trilogy is when uh, Luke and Vader are on the gurney and the greatest, you know, one of the greatest scenes of American film. And Luke just, his voice is so screechy and petulant. I just wish he would just taken it down like a couple, just a couple of, of notes, you know, like one octave lower and it would have been even better scene. My least favorite thing is what Adam just said. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Adam said it. Adam, you and I, our friendship is dissolved. You, you have That's, dissolved our friendship so line. many times over Star Wars. <laughs> My least favorite thing, and I've cut it. I cut it. The Ewok with the glider wings. Oh. In the context of the movie, it makes no sense. It just, it's absolutely ridiculous. So I just left that, I left that out. Good for you. But I had that toy, so it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what are you most looking forward to in the new film? Films. It doesn't have to be from Force Awakens. I'm like, this is so weird to say, but I'm almost, I feel almost more, slightly more excited for um, Rogue One than the new Star Wars film. Yeah. Is that weird to say? Because I think like, 
I never knew I wanted to see how the Death Star plans were stolen until they announced this film. And now I'm like super excited about, <laughs> I think it's going to be like a little grittier. It's probably going to be really dramatic and high stakes. But, and I'm like slightly worried about all my favorite characters dying in the new trilogy. So, <laughs> um, but I'm excited just to like figure out and find out who all of these new characters are. I've been very good about staying away from spoilers, probably for the first time in my life because I want to go in kind of blind. So. I'm most excited about seeing Han and Chewie talk some more. I could I could hear them, you know, have their repartee all day long. <laughs> I kind of agree with Alex. I'm more excited about the spin-off movies. Yeah. And my dream is that we go to one of the Hong Kong cinema directors to do one of them. Oh, yeah. I really want to see um like a Sui Hark or a, even a Stephen Chow version of Star Wars. Yeah. That would be cool. That That's actually cool. what I like about the new anthology films is that they're each going to have, I think, like very distinct, separate tones yeah. and points of view. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you guys. We had Gary Witta on the show who did the original screenplay for Rogue One. Um, and I think I am probably more excited for that than I am mm -hmm. for Force Awakens. I just I like the whole idea of a Star Wars movie without any Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get behind that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up. You are tapped to write a Netflix original Star Wars show. Which characters do you use and what's the premise? How Yoda became Yoda. The training of Yoda. Ooh, that's, that's a good cool. one. Oh my gosh. I'm all about Bosk. <laughs> it's going really, yeah. to be Bosk as like... Um, Bosk and Cad Bane as like a uh, Clint Eastwood movie kind of thing. They're just going to go around beating people up. Nice. There'll be no message and none of that Adam <laughs> Gidwitz deep stuff. <laughs> I would really like to see like a Bounty Hunters series, like Tales from the Bounty Hunters. Um, That'd be awesome. Basically what I just suggested. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you suggested. Did you want to um, have a lot of beating people up too? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, but I'd also like to get, um, I'd love to see what Padme was doing. I think there's like a lot of interesting things that were happening in her life that like weren't at all related to the Jedi. Um, I'd like to see like a young Princess Leia. I mean, I'm just like any, just give me more lady characters, please. Like, let's see, like, I think Leia and Padme are both really interesting just because they had this royal upbringing side to them, but they were like trying to work the Senate and the Senate is so ineffective and just like kind of falling to pieces. So I would love to see young fire starters, Leia or Padme kind of out there trying to save the galaxy and meeting up against people who are constantly um, underestimating them. How about a bounty hunter show of all female bounty hunters? Yes. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. Yes. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Lady Ventress is my favorite one of my absolute favorite characters. I love Ventress. Have you read Dark Disciple? No, I haven't read it. It's fantastic. If you are a fan of Ventress and you are a fan of excellent Star Wars stories, take you go read it. Okay, All right. put it on my list. Yeah. I'm in. So you're on a desert island. You have one album for the rest of your life. What is it going to be? Wait, is this a Star Wars question? It no. Is not. <laughs> no more Star Wars questions. I mean, unless your album is D'Amico 70s funk Star Wars. <laughs> I own that album, but I would not take it to the desert. <laughs> I can't imagine. 
imagine any one album that I would not get so tired of. Well, I have a prepared answer for that, and that's the Goldberg Variations by the Glenn Gould, yeah. Glenn Gould's second recording of the Goldberg Variations. Yeah, is it fair to say, like, you know, uh, the collected Beethoven symphonies, that would be good? Sure. Uh, barring that, um, I think Bob Dylan's um, Blonde on Blonde, maybe. Um, so, yeah. Rolling Stone's greatest hits? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You can instantly beam to any place on the planet. Where do you go? Hmm. <laughs> New York City Comic Con? Oh, nice answer, Tom. Um, I was going to say Mount Everest, but you wouldn't want to just like beam <laughs> oh, to the summit. You, just you would die. <laughs> um, but then you wouldn't have to go through the hassle of having actually climbed it. Yeah, if you only stay there for like 10 seconds, though, you should be fine. Yeah, as long as I bring what those like Canada goose down parka there you go and some oxygen yeah that was a really an impossible question because you didn't give us the parameters at all what do we have how long are we there for so <laughs> oh, i take back my india answer i need to know more information okay fair enough <laughs> velocity of atlantis <laughs> oh man that'd be great favorite bad movie mm. which i know is subjective but yeah i love bad movies i could list a few right now that i'm in love with i love uh some people think Pirates of the Caribbean, the original, is a bad movie. I think it's one it of the is. great movies of all time. Uh, Notting Hill, people are going to make fun of me. Great <laughs> film. And some people think that War Games with Matthew Broderick is a bad movie, when in fact it's maybe the best movie of the 1980s. Wow. <laughs> you were so decisive. Barring Star Wars, barring Star Wars. I don't think of that as an 80s film, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm, Tom, you want to go? I, I don't know. I feel well, like... Weekend at Bernie's 2 is always my punch it's always i've never seen it but it's always my punchline. like when people are like what was that movie that orson wells made after citizen kane you just say weekend at bernie's too it's always gets a laugh you're even telling us it's a recycled joke and we're still laughing oh it's recycled believe me i love a lot of like rom-coms that a lot of people think are terrible like i love letters to juliet but i also i don't know i like a lot of the I mean, would you say The Dark Crystal is a bad movie? Never. What? Never. Never, right? A lot of people like would say that, but it's actually kind of amazing. And that was like my favorite film when I was a kid, aside from Star Wars, which I feel like explains a lot about me and my sense of humor and personality. But I have uh, never met a person who said Dark Crystal is a bad movie, and I don't think that I would ever want to. No. Okay. I, yeah, they just wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to know them. I would just no. walk away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Okay, I don't really know if you answered that, but that's good enough. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Justin, you want to take that one? Okay, last one. Favorite thing to do on a Saturday night? Go to bed early. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, don't you get so much satisfaction when you're like, I'm tired. It's 9 o'clock. I'm going to take a book and go read. Yeah. And then pass out and then get like 15 hours sleep. That's the best. <laughs> That's all I want to do is sleep. I don't know what the right answer to this question is, but probably the real answer is uh, there's a roof deck on the top of my apartment building, and uh, if it's a nice night, go up there with a bottle of bourbon and some friends and just chill out on my roof deck for a few hours. Very nice. That's slightly more Perfect. social than my option. Gee, I don't know. Um, play Magic the Gathering with Adam and Alex, who needs yes. to join. Alex needs to join the game. I've Guys, never played we're doing before. it. New York Comic Con, you're
you're coming over to my house. We're taking Magic the Gathering up on the roof. I'm bringing a bottle of bourbon. And Alex can go to bed early. And, and then then, done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. All right. And I, we lied. I'll give one more and then we'll let you go. His favorite Star Wars movie? Empire. Empire. I think Empire. Of course. <laughs> but I feel like I got a new appreciation for new, A New Hope having worked on this book. I feel like I did not appreciate how kind of like perfectly constructed the story is. So I like it. Awesome. But in, I mean, Empire is so good. It, it really has so few faults, if at any. Um, that yeah, it is really one of the one of those few movies that you can point to and be like, yeah, perfect movie. Yeah. It really is. Um, that and Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, exactly. Bernie yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for your time. I want. Hey, whatever you guys want to plug stuff. Where can people find you? What have you got going up? Appearances, that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, you want me to start? I'm everywhere online. You can find me on Twitter at, at Alex Bracken. Or Tumblr at Alexandra Bracken and at, in, on Instagram at Alex Bracken. Um, but we have a bunch of stuff coming up for New York Comic Con next week. Um, we have Star Wars Reads Day at Books of Wonder, a really wonderful independent children's bookstore in Manhattan. We also have a panel, I think, on that Sunday, right, guys? Where it's right. like Star Wars Readers Theater, sort of, or I don't know, we're doing kind of awesome dramatic readings from the book. With so. a bunch of the stores, uh, Journey to the Force Awakens authors. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm excited about when the three of us do the Smithsonian in December. That's oh, yeah. Awesome. I, mean, I think Tony's coming for that, too. Awesome. I don't know. Is that, like, 100% confirmed? Probably not, because I haven't heard about this. What is that? Well, I'll be I'll be at least on the steps of the Smithsonian <laughs> selling books. <laughs> Um, and uh, we'll just be playing magic if there's no, uh, <laughs> no event. Oh, so basically we had done um, a reader's theater that Dina at um, Disney, who's the school and library marketing director over there, she had put together a script for, from scenes of all of our books. And we had done um, basically a reading of this reader's theater of all three movies, plus Tony Trulizzi's Adventures of Luke Skywalker um, picture book at Lucasfilm's offices for what was it for for ALA annual which is the American Library Association's annual conference and so I think we're gonna we might have another reading in the DC area this December so stay tuned it sounds like we might have two one at the Natural History Museum the Smithsonian and the other at the Library of Congress yes and you if you come to either of these you will get to hear my impeccable Emperor Palpatine impression which is super good actually both of them how about that perfect Adam, do you have anything else? No, I think Alex just covered every event that I have coming up. For the next <laughs> those, go to those. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we will link to everything and all of your social handles and everything when the episode goes up. And I just want to thank you guys again so much for taking the time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's interview. More Star Wars, more Star Wars. That's all I can think about. I know, this week especially. Can't get enough. <laughs> and so, Jamie, you've you've been through the books that of the authors we just interviewed. People, I don't know if people realize, because some people are hesitant about getting into the Star Wars books um, just because of past mm-hmm. experiences they've had. <laughs> yeah. So, 
to tell these people we're not just pushing these books because we're you know we're like a shill and we're pushing them. They're actually good. No, these books especially. I mean, they they have rebooted the Star Wars canon and they've started over with a bunch of you know quote unquote expanded universe books. Um, and just like previous expanded universe, some are good, some are not so good. Uh, these three books, Alex, Adam, and Tom's books, are not expanded universe. They're just retelling the original trilogy, um, and they're told. Um, like obviously you just heard it from the interview so they're told from very unique perspectives and um they're middle grade novels so they're very short they're they're i don't want to say breezy but you know you could almost read each one in a single sitting um and so they're not huge time commitments on your part they're they're really well written um they're very enjoyable um and especially alex bracken's version of a new hope um, once my daughter gets old enough to want to read Star Wars, I would actually hand her that one over the original novelization, which wow. I think is actually very pretty, pretty poor. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's really cool. So guys, do us a favor. If you really enjoyed this interview, send a tweet to the to the different authors. You can see it. I'm sure James is going to put their Twitter information in the description. Yeah. Send them a tweet. Let them know you heard them on the show and that you loved uh, the interview and that you're going to check out their book. That would really be cool. Absolutely. And also we're having a contest. We're still doing it. We need you yep. to enter it. We're doing it <laughs> until the episode with um <sighs> What the hell's his name? Desher. Ian. All right. Yes, we're doing it until the episode with Ian Desher airs. Um so if you if you are interested in the Shakespeare Star Wars books, just go on, leave us a comment. It could be a negative comment. I mean, we we just want to hear some feedback, you know. If you like it, tell us. If you don't like it, tell us what's wrong. What we're doing wrong. Um, but and if you enter between, you know, whenever we started this a couple weeks ago, if you do a iTunes uh, review between then and whenever the episode with the Industrial airs, which will be a couple more weeks from now, um, you're in the running. We will send you uh, a copy of Episode One, The Phantom of Menace. Perfect. And also this week, you're going to notice there's going to be a second episode dropping on Friday. You're going to see it in your little feed box. That's a little surprise we have for you guys. It's going to be a new uh, show, not new show, but a new type of show that we're doing. And I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Download it when it comes out. I'm sure everybody's just on pins and needles <laughs> at this point. I know they are. I know they're more right. Justin and Jamie. I imagine it's I picture true. the people, you know what? They're going to be in bed, Jamie, and it's going to be midnight Friday night and they're going to refresh their feed. To see if it's there. But you know, you should have you should have prefaced that 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 announcement right there. People could be driving their cars right now, listening to us. Right. They, they may have just swerved in excitement and caused an accident. <laughs> They're you like, should have, you should have like said like, okay, it, you know, big announcement coming up. <laughs> you might be a little bit excited. You may want to pull over and stop the car. You know, put us on pause. We'll wait. Um, Especially now, if they're listening to this like on Saturday and they're like, oh, my God, it's out. I know. <laughs> Who knows what kind of carnage and mayhem you just caused by that. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, can't wait to see you. Well, I can't wait for you to hear us on Friday. Let us know how you like the show. We're on Twitter at the GBB podcast, Facebook at the GBB or Facebook.com slash the GBB podcast. And I'm Justin Connors at 140 Justin C. And I'm Jamie Green at The Roarbots. And you can also reach us now on Skype if you want to leave us a voicemail or let us hear your wonderful voice. Uh, 301-825-5653.
And we're actually going to be announcing something soon for you to call that number because we're going to be taking questions for a really cool guest. But we're going to let you know about that in the coming weeks. All right, guys. Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.